Hello, diary listeners. This is a podcast that I recorded a while ago, actually, and I'm sad to say that it's taken me so long to get it out, but I'm finally ready. I think it's time. This is The Artist Heart, part one of my time, my awesome time with Carol LeBaron. She's a textile artist, and this is this is her journey into art. It's It's an amazing tale, and I hope everyone enjoys it. Welcome to the Apprenticeship Diaries, where raw meets refined. Let's be real, we're still working on refined. <laughs> what it took, what it takes, and the stories that are made. Join us as we learn from professionals about how their stories begin. My husband has a little sign in the top of his toolbox. Huh? It says, is this going to be long? <laughs> well, surely on this podcast, it will be long. <laughs> <All right. laughs> it's a diary, right? It is. And it, and it has to be. And, and that's why people come here is they, they come to, to get the diary entries and all the good little things that you don't get anywhere else. So with, with that being said, this is the Apprenticeship Diaries. I'm here with my good friend, Carol LeBaron. And uh, she's a textile artist, and uh, I'm I've been wanting this interview for a really long time, Karen. Or Karen, Carol. Uh, yeah, I can tell you know my name. <laughs> called uh, you Karen, the worst name in the world to call somebody right now. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Is that because I said I was going to have the long story? I don't know. I think I, I think, I, think I, were... I combined Carol and LeBaron, and it became Karen. Oh my God! Never. <laughs> Just reel that right back. And at the end of this episode, no one will even be after they hear both of us talk. The word Karen will be the farthest thing from anyone's mind. Let's hope, because right now I'm calling the episode that (laughs) 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 we're going to give them so much more. (laughs) So I was reading through all of your um, you know, Carol is amazing because she answered all of the questions prior to. And I was like, no, 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 we're going to go over them on the podcast. I just wanted to give you some pre-show notes. But it was nice for me uh, that you did answer them because I was able to kind of like go through what you were already going to say and kind of. Um, and I thought it was all great information and that we can elaborate on. But um, I wanted to start with how you decided that this is what you want. I know that you went to school at RISD and you had mentioned that you didn't, um, you hadn't done art before that. Can you, can you talk about like what the journey was to like go from high school into RISD? Yes, but it starts before high school. Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) So not that I'm going to say my whole life story, because I'm not going to say my age on. But so this starts when I was probably somewhere between six and nine. Wonderful. And I had been writing some books. Uh, I wrote a book. My mother still has it somewhere. It was called Colors the Elephant. Had all these pictures of elephants in it, and it was all about you could be any color you want. And it was, um, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the elephant, nobody liked the elephant because he, he wanted to be all different colors and all the elephants, other elephants were gray. I wrote this book when I was like six and I drew wow. all these colored elephants. So my parents decided I must have all this artistic talent. And so they took me to Decor of a Museum in... Um, Lincoln, Massachusetts is a well-known place. 
Um, and they had a museum school there so that I would get to art education. In, oh, right in, on. Yeah. So I had this art class and we drew charcoal and I loved the charcoal. There was charcoal powder and you could mess it all around and make. And so when the teacher came, she said it was terrible because I'd made too much of a mess and I got in trouble for making a mess with this charcoal. So that was, and I didn't want to go back. I didn't go back after that because all the other kids were doing what were they were told and making these nice little drawings by erasing out. But I just was, I was in love with the marks that you could get yeah. in charcoal. I'd never seen anything like that before. I was yeah. just enamored with the material. Mm-hmm. I can still remember the, the, I just have this vague memory of the room and like all this charcoal dust. And I mean, I, I can only imagine what I looked like. That was one. <laughs> And then the second one was at a at an after school camp a couple of years later. And plus, I used to get in trouble in the art room because I never did the right kind of picture in elementary school. I, I kind of black a lot that out. But at this summer camp, we had to make trivets and they gave you a piece of wood, you know, just like the size of an iPad and a bunch of. Um, oh, what do they call them? Upholstery nails. Upholstery. Oh, okay, yeah. Hammer. And then it had this little star drawn on it. And you were supposed to, I didn't understand this, but you're supposed to follow the star with the upholstery tacks. But I just got into the upholstery tacks and I'm, I took as many tacks as I could glom. And I went off in a corner. I just started, because ha- I love the surface it made. Mm-hmm. I got into hammering the hammer, hammering the tacks down. I can still remember the same thing like with the charcoal, just right. the, the brass tacks and the wood and what it was like when the wood came up around the tack. And mm-hmm. Next thing you know, I'm using too many tacks. I'm ruining it for everybody. I'm making too much noise. They took it away from me. That trivet, we still have it. It's up at our summer house. Uh, so those two things were enough to make me not want to do art classes unless I was absolutely forced to. So I never took any art in high school. Right. And at the end of high school, I I went on a hiatus. And that was, I graduated in 72 so, you know, the only reason I didn't go to Woodstock was because my parents wouldn't let me. I graduated young. I was 17. But mm-hmm. I, I really I wanted to be a flower child like you like you read about. And I had all the gear to do it. And I pretty much left. I took off and um, ended up with I was supposed to go to college. And I went to all these college things and told them all I didn't want to go. You know, I, I spent my last year in high school smoking marijuana instead of going to class you know so. I was gonna ask uh, how were you in any other <laughs> academic life like what was it was no. it like the rest or so I so I had 800s on my SATs and I was a national oh, right merit scholar yeah so they were, so were hoping just brilliant. To get me. <laughs> well yes yeah yeah you're just brilliant yeah. yes yeah. and so but of course my parents wanted me to go to certain schools Mm-hmm. And they took me around um, and I can remember being at St. Lawrence in a leather mini skirt and suede boots with big heels. And they're like, so why do you want us to go to your college? And I'm like, I don't want to go to your college. Because <laughs> I didn't. No, you're just <laughs> so like, I'm I honest. <laughs> so I didn't get into any of those. Uh, so then unbeknownst to me, my mother applied me to all the state schools, which I got into all those. Oh, it, wow. it was a different world in 1972 than it is mm-hmm. now. And so I sort of took off that summer alone and just didn't come home and then met my husband, 
and went off with him to this farm and we grew marijuana and and lived in a little six-sided house and I took care of horses and wore granny dresses and you know I grew made made all my earthy crunchy you know like ground all the grain for my homemade bread and grew all the food in the garden and did that so that's when I decided that I was going to be a weaver woman. And I, and I started reading like, you know, about weaving the universe mm-hmm. in the threads of the universe. And I really identified with Circe right. and with ancient weavers. And I was just really enamored with weaving. And so my journey started with studying weaving. And I was, I've always been a weaver first. I, if the only reason I don't have a loom right now is because I don't have a place to put one. I do have a tapestry loom. That's awesome. I bought for 200 bucks from RISD and it's in, Danny calls it the monster. It's, it's in the <laughs> attic of the shop. It's a big, huge, tall thing. That's like, you know, six feet tall. Uh-huh. And yeah. So I, I, you, I can make rugs on that. So, so my first weaving that I made was a mandala. So I was weaving mandalas mm-hmm. doing, you know, Eastern art and, and all of that. I started selling double, you know, those double weave bags at craft fairs. So that's my my entrance into art again was through that direction of creating things and wanting to become one with the universe through weaving, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, and study of color, which a lot of those threads is funny because I haven't thought about that in a long time, but some of the work I want to do now with people, I want to do some workshops with color and color exercises and tapping into your inner creativity and through color. And, you know, that's, that's a lot of the stuff that I was doing then at a time when I didn't even realize I was doing that. So at that time, of course, there was pressure from the parental units to go to college. Mm So um, I took a bunch of art classes so that I could make a portfolio because I had, you know, I never did art. Yeah. I didn't have anything for a portfolio. So I had to go, I took studied with a painter and I learned how to draw. You had to make three drawings to get into RISD, you know, pencil drawings. So I had to learn how to draw so I could make those drawings I had to learn how to render. Um, and I did that and got in as an undergrad and mm-hmm. I did, I did textiles as an undergrad when that was in the 70 and 80, mm-hmm. I was there for, I don't know, three or four years with my ex. Um, but I, I I got pregnant with my first child in my freshman year there, Kenneth, and he used to come to school with me in a right. snuggly, um, <laughs> which, which just, I went into labor during a critique. I think that teacher oh was there. Oh, my God. Jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was a Japanese teacher. I think he was on, a, on like an exchange or something. He was a, His name was Akira Arita, and he was very straight-laced. And it was on the top floor. So I, so I was as big as a house. I used to tromp up there with my drawing boards and all this stuff. That, it was oh my God. big as a house with Kenneth. And anyway, so I went into labor during the final crit in February of 78. <laughs> that is a story, man. My goodness. Oh, yeah. I have so many stories. But so, <laughs> so, but that I had Kenneth, but then things were just it's too long to tell it all here. It's all diary stuff. Like, I love yeah. that this is diaries because this is a whole, for anybody out there listening, that's thinking that's struggling as a new mother or with relationships and art and trying to make all that work. I, I could fill three of your 
podcast episodes just with that. <laughs> right. Long story short, we moved out of that house into another one that he was going to fix up with somebody else. And the guy was a little loopy and, and I was afraid of him. And I ended up saying I was going to leave and went back to my parents, of course, because I was only yeah. 18 wow. or, 20 or however young I was. And then from there went to Smith. And that's when I started, started studying Eastern religious and, and printmaking. So those two things took me on this double trajectory right. with art, right? So mm -hmm. it's not such a simple um, journey. And then there's recovery in there too, because mm -hmm. by, by 1994, you know, I was, I was ready to get sober. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you can, you know, kind of fill in the blanks on all yeah. of that. And I, I don't mind full, but this is the first time, I've, you know, so I don't need to get too, too far into those directions, but that's a huge part of my story. Yeah. And so when I was two years, three years, four, some 97, um, I decided to go back to graduate school and we had to decide if I was going to get an MBA or an MFA. Mm -hmm. So we took a year. I was working with a career counselor person. First half of the year, I did the Princeton review to try to do the M because uh, you, know, you had to do the GREs. Uh -huh. And I scored off the charts on the ver verbal, but the math one, I couldn't get it. And the, even the teacher said I was the first person she'd ever taught that couldn't understand. I felt horrible. It was like the first time I'd ever been anywhere where I couldn't understand how to do it. It was, and I, I didn't have great scores, their scores, at least not to me. There were 600s or something right. for the math. Um, and then thank God that six months was over. Then it was time to do the art. So I took art classes and made paintings mm -hmm. and I made probably uh, in six months, I made like 250 paintings and had an art show and sold them all Wow! in, in Massachusetts. That's so awesome. we said, okay, let's go to RISD. So I made a portfolio, I made a portfolio of all out of all that. And that's how I ended up doing the MFA in textile design. Right on. Which was supposed to be a career in New York for some big company designing fabric. But somewhere on the line, it was really hard for me to reconcile my art with being on sheets. See, now I'm full circle and I want to design for industry. Mm -hmm. I'd actually, you know, I, a lot of my designs would be fantastic for bedding and for, I can see it now where mm -hmm. I couldn't then. Um but I don't know if you would have had the same, if I can interject, I don't know if you would have had the same kind of um, portfolio. Like you wouldn't have had, you wouldn't have had all of this to offer had you no. gone straight into it. Besides the no. fact that you now have something that's, you know, demands reverence because um, you are a professional. You do know exactly what you're doing through trial and error. You are an expert exactly. in all of these yes. things where if you had gone into it at that point, you probably would have had the same treatment that you got over and over again from all these institutions and places oh, yeah. that were telling you, oh, you're doing this wrong. You need to do it like this and do it like this. Now you can come into things and be like, listen, man, <laughs> I know exactly what I need to do. This is how we can apply it. And then you can be that kind of uh entity now that you couldn't be then so i i love that that you didn't do that actually <laughs> oh, why and it mm -hmm. makes me think and i want to circle back to this because yeah. i want to talk about the apprenticeship piece yeah but what happened to me was 
a, a gift from God in the form of a woman named Maria Tolokas. Um, she's Finnish and she was the head of the department then. And she, I, she saw what was happening to me. And, and she saw who I was and that I was a fine artist. Right. And in the, it, it was a two year program, 66 credits a semester. It's really intense. You were there 12 hours. You, you got, I got there into the studio at six in the morning, didn't leave till two, 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 two AM. Wow. It was just really intense. And I, I just, it was like being in the Bauhaus, but she took me in the, in the um, fall of my second year and she didn't allow me to work on fabrics for the whole first half of that semester. She made me paint. Nice. And then she said, okay, this is where you have to be. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. So I started developing the technique that, that I'm using now with with like that, that piece, these pieces out here. I love it's so beautiful. And I was doing one, I, w- I wanted to work, I love to work big. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a small piece, even though it looks, yeah. that's to me small. Yeah. And so I was making these huge pieces, all one piece and great big giant vats. And in, in January, I was getting ready to make the big pieces for my Master of Fine Arts show. And I ended up with a double hernia from lifting all these heavy pieces. And yeah. I landed in the hospital and I, I wasn't allowed to work. And they had to, they figured it out. They got me the elevator and all this stuff. And I had to make small pieces like this. So I figured out this whole technique that I've been using, you know, 20 years. These are little pieces. So they all They're get sewn together. So ever since I've been developing color and form and piecing them, advancing ways to piece. And it, so it's, it's, it's a long story. But all the pieces are necessary from the, and and as you say, that six-year-old, that person came back out in the beginning of that journey. Yeah. And to to take it to apprenticeship, that's where I think someone, and I think it'd be like yourself too, somebody that that is the, the artist's heart. If they have the right mentor, it, that's going to come out and then they can pass that down the road. I, yes. I believe that deeply. Oh, I agree. And I also believe that like um, there has to be a room like it, my heart cried when you were when you were talking about making a mess in that studio and just playing with the playing with the medium and then being told that you were wrong. And again, with the with the making marts with the rivets and everything like that, I um. I've, I've experienced that in other artists and it's really mentally crippling. Um, it's very stifling. It's um, I've had, I've experienced it with myself too. Like when I got to college, there was one teacher who said that my watercolor style was wrong. He's like, it's too tight. You know, you should loosen it up. And I was like, I am not, I I'm not wrong. This is art. And like, this is, this is art. You're talking about your preferences. Thank God I was old enough to push back. And I was in a place where I'm like, I'm thinking mentally, I paid for this, dude. Like you don't get to tell me I'm wrong. And it was an illustration class. I was like, this isn't even about how I use a medium, bro. 
Like, this is about me being an avid illustrator. Did I, did I convey the concept? You don't get to tell me that I watercolor wrong now. <laughs> like, I'm, like what, who do you think you are? And, and, and he thought he was a lot, but like, <laughs> that was the thing is that I, it really bothers me. And that, that is a seared thing to this day in my memory. And it's probably one of the leading reasons why I dropped out of college was because when I started seeing that that professionals in my field he was only one but that there could be one like that and in that place where you know you need good mentors you need people who are are willing to take whatever you're coming with and and put like just coach it just coach yes. it in the right direction and and give you like little dream spaces to apply it to and be like okay i see that you're really cool here. Let's put you over here because I think that this is going to be a great space for you. You know, like, um, you know, if you really enjoyed, you know, charcoal like that, cause it's in, in its powdered form, it's like painting and mark making. I would have like come in with as a teacher and like shown you how you can like make certain things with your fingers and stuff and just let you get dirtier. <laughs> like, exactly. You know, like, yeah. it's like, let's, your face is covered in it. Press your face up against whatever <laughs> <laughs> that does, <laughs> you know, like something like that. But that's, that's kind of, um, uh, and, and, and I will touch back to your, um, to addiction and everything. Did you find that, um, art, because I know it is for me, did you find that that was your place to go and atone and kind of work out a lot of the things with, like, it was that like your happy space where you were able to go and kind of like, like push out the rest or was it hard to come to your art during all of that? The answer to that is, I'm going to be giving you the same answer. All yes and no. Yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. I wrote down your quote. Oh, I am cool. not wrong. This is art. Yeah. Good. That is like, that's going to go on a t-shirt. Good. So, and, 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 and that is, the, that's really kind of the answer to this. Because what happened to me by the end was that I couldn't do, and I couldn't draw. I couldn't do anything. Right. I couldn't. I, I was physically incapable. I can remember some moments where I thought, oh, I'll draw a picture of this or, and, and it wasn't, there was nothing there. It was terrifying. Right. Absolutely terrifying. And so when I first got sober, I still, I couldn't, it took a long time and, and it, you know, it's a whole, I, I didn't even know I couldn't read. Right. I read whole books. I, I you know, that, that, that I never, I've read them since. And I never realized I never even read them. Like my eyes went across. It just never. Wow. Registered. No, it, it's very difficult to explain. Right. But. I think it's not so much that our became my way to work things out because I'm trying to think when I actually 94 and I entered school in nine. So it was three years. Those first three years are really a blur. There wasn't, you know, it's just, you, you, and then 
it was mastering being able to do it, mm-hmm. working through the fear. But yet here I am. These people see something because just anybody can't get into this school. Right, right. So the fact that I could create work so quickly and, and the paintings, people people responded to these paintings. Um, right. There's, you know, and I... I don't even know where they all are now. Every now and then I, I see somebody has one in their house. I'm like, oh my God. Or I saw a lamp the other day that I made. I was designing lamps. I'm like, oh, that's really good. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> that I did that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. But then what started happening was, and as I, it, it became spiritual experience. Like mm-hmm. I always pray before I work. Like when I in the oh, studio, right I do. I, you know, I say, you know, help me, you know, bring this and it, and, and there's a feeling that comes. I can't explain it. Like all of the pieces that you see, the piece that's behind me was, were, are made because I needed to make them. Yeah, no. They, I... they had to come out. Mm-hmm. And the hardest thing I've ever done is the commission that I'm finishing up right now because the people had spe- more specific requirements than I've ever. It, it was a huge learning curve and learning experience for me because all those and I didn't even realize that till we're having this conversation right now that some of those voices are in my head. If, if some, somebody has a thought about this, maybe I'm not going to do it. Maybe I'm not to align those two things. Mm-hmm. It must be that way with tattooing. It must. Oh, it I mean, now that I'm thinking about that, my goodness, that's a, I can't. You're gonna have to tell me about that. But, um, so now the stitch meditations that I do, and if you have, I don't know if you've gone through my stitch meditation thing. I've, I've, I've looked at a couple of them. Yes, um, they're yeah. very. Cool. So there's one that you actually can follow the meditation, like you sit, but you mm-hmm. have to actually sit there and stitch and meditate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that practice does bring me into that zone, working on the colors, being in the dye room with the dye pot. Like I call it circling and I, I'll go to the studio and I'll touch this and I'll t- touch that. And it's like a whirlpool. We oh, cool. And then I'm underwater and it, it, it's, I, I'm just down there. I don't know, or, or under there or in there or whatever it is. Yeah. I call it, the, I, I always call it my God sense. I always call it like the, uh, it's like a linking with the collective conscious. It's like, you're letting it funnel through you and kind of just feeling it and letting it guide your actions. Like there isn't a lot of thought. There's just reaction. It's just like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that part. Have you ever seen the movie last samurai? I always bring this up where he's trying to teach him how to fight with a sword and he's like too many mind, no mind. Like, I think I have. Yeah. yeah, that, that part, that's what I always try to tell people. Like, that's what it has to become. It's like, you're given this and you respond, you've given this and you respond. If you, if you get into thinking about it, you're paralyzed. Like you, you can't, it stifles the action. Like, because then you're, you gas yourself out before you're, you're even start. Um, <laughs> And it's the, it is the same with tattooing um, because when people ask about, I mean, this is just a fraction of how that applies, but um, people always ask, you know, aren't you, aren't you scared because you're, you're tattooing somebody forever. I was like, if I were to think about that before I did it, 
I would never start. I was like, you don't, you don't think about those things. You have to kind of go to a place and kind of turn off the rest of the noise and just kind of funnel in and just respond. And, and that's, that's what I, I felt for you when you were talking about being a kid is like, you let those things just naturally flow through you anyway. And you, you trust that it's, that it's right. Like you said, it's, it's, it's art. I'm not wrong. You know, like that, that is a thing. I'm not wrong. Like this is, I, I know what I'm doing and I'm letting it happen because I know that it's right. And I would imagine that like being that person just so young and, and even your book that you had, um, which I think is a lovely thing. Um, I think that book should exist um, about the elephants, you know, just recognizing that so young and, and all of those things it's um, I would imagine that's what kind of led to the addiction because when you feel that disconnected from other people um, I, I just got done listening to Russell Brand's recovery. And he says in there, if you have at all, the feeling that you are different from other people, this book is for you because recovery is about reconnecting you with what you really are. That's what the recovery is, recovery of your real self and what you're meant to, to be on this planet, what you're meant to exude and, and drive forward. So if all of your expressions up until that point had been slapped down and all these people saying to you, like, no, you got to do it this way. Like, this is how you have to do it. I would imagine that would be a, a very lonely state to be in and where you would probably feel like you had to numb from your experience in order to just cope because, you know, so many people telling you that you're wrong <laughs> and you're like, I'm not I wrong. Yeah. In my family, it doesn't fit. <laughs> no, it, it, it's a curse and a blessing. Oh, it is. Because, I agree. <laughs> because I have a lot of friends that just can't stand the way I talk. They're like, why do you use all these long words? You know, it's, oh, it, why do you I love it? <laughs> but, you know, there, there are, there are people that think you're talking down to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know quite a few people. You you probably experienced the same thing. I have. I've I've told them we've confronted it. It was really cool. Actually, Um, a a former apprentice of my father. She was like, you know, Amy, I was very intimidated by you because you use a lot of big words. She goes, and I grew up on a trailer park and I, I, you know, I didn't really want to, you know, it was hard for me to talk to you because I didn't understand half the time. I said, well, why didn't you just why didn't you just ask me? Like I, I was, and she goes, well, I didn't want to be seen as stupid. And I was like, well, hun, the thing of it is, is that that's a good way to stay there and stay in that place. And I said, and also there's a really amazing thing that you just didn't think about. I said, because what if I'm talking out of my ass? What if I don't know if you ask that question and I don't know what the hell I just said, if I can't come up with like that, a definition for the word I just used, you have just pinpointed the bullshit. <laughs> and I was you know like, how often that's happened to me. People yeah. say, what is it? And I look it up and I'm like, Oh, nine times out of 10, I am using the word properly. Yeah. But it's more that it's here that I don't know. So I learn more from people say, what does that word mean? Now look it up. Oh yeah. 
And here's the context. Of course, then I find myself putting it in a sentence and giving them a lecture, which irritates them even more. So that's the downside to that. But I did it forever with lascivious. I thought lascivious was just like a ill intent, but I didn't realize it was specifically a sexually charged ill intent, which I didn't realize until I looked it up. Oh, I can only imagine the look you got from that one. I know. And I was like, I, I didn't really, I mean, who knows who would have known and who would have dared question me, right? Because if the majority of people don't ask questions and they just assume if you're bold enough to say something that you know what you're talking about, um, you know, that's lascivious. something I learned. Yeah. Yeah. Now everybody knows lascivious, but I, I was using it wrong for a long time until I was finally like my boyfriend asked, he was like, what does that mean? And I looked it up and I was like, oh shit, I've been losing using this law wrong the whole time like this is crazy I was like I didn't know it was that but yeah like I you know um, my background is is that I had a I had a struggle learning to read um early on I think I'm I'm dyslexic um I think that's part of um my kind of learning curve um but because of that context was huge I I was smart enough to like link together the words I knew and contextually put it together. So whenever it comes down to words and things like that, I always respond to context. I always like listen for context clues. And so it, that's, what's been able to connect to me with a lot of the, the ability to understand um, people and situations and language. And I, I mean, I don't know any language except for English, but I would imagine that my, my ability to formulate context really helps. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where it happened for me. Um, but I was not out the gate, like verbally a master. I I had to, I had to really work for it, but I think that's why I think that when you, the thing that I love about you, and I do want to mention this before we move forward, we, we met on the nomad network through Jason Stapleton and his podcast. And that's kind of how we met. Um, but that since day one of meeting you, uh, Carol, you, uh, you're just somebody that I've always linked up with as far as like philosophy, anything that like, you know, when we were talking about NFTs, when we were talking about anything, you and I were like in sync. We were like, well, this is, this is why we, we think this would be problematic. Cause we're thinking about it like a million years from now when we're dead in the ground. <laughs> um, but you know, our, our philosophies really run, um, you know, hardcore. Like I feel like a kindred, like soulful connection. So like, that's where, that's where we really came together and it just keeps expanding. And ever since I keep hearing about you, I'm like, I gotta get her on my podcast because <laughs> everybody needs to know Carol, <laughs> but yeah. Well, it's my debut. So I know I've it's never awesome. been on a podcast before. I know. I think it's awesome. And, um, and so, you know, going back to what you had said, so I, I wanted to touch on it because I know I've heard a little bit more about this, um, this uh, journey where you had the hernia and you had to um, make these smaller portions. Um, what is the, uh, it was like an Eastern technique, right? That you learned uh, in that space? Yes. Yeah, so it came out of, it was, it was a materials project that we were all given and we were the, 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 um, they asked us to design a, a new process or a new way of using materials. And I'm all about color. So I was looking for, and I was looking for ways to get color onto wool. Right. Because I, you know, when 
over the two years that I was there, all of the dyeing that I did, we did we dyed every single type of dye imaginable. I know how to do them all. And there's different kinds of dye for every different kind of fabric that there is. And the acid dyes on wool, the color was just so much richer, so much more intense than anything, any kind of color that I could get on any other material. And, you know, over the years since I found out that there's multiple reasons for that besides just the dyes, it has to do with light. It has to do with the absorption. It has to do with the structure of the fiber, the way it absorbs and reflects light, you know, all of those different things, the way it takes Mm -hmm. the dye, all of that. But dyeing by its very nature is an additive process. Mm So if you, if you want to have, like, if you look at that piece behind me, mm-hmm. um, actually, none of those are a really good example. Here we go. This is probably, uh, here we go. Here's a good example. See how there's, see how there's blue in the middle of this mm-hmm. orange yep. on the outside. Yep. Well, if you think about watercolor painting, mm-hmm. how are you going to get that? blue there you you can't have the orange under it right yes because it'll it'll just mud out right yeah so you don't paint fabric the way that you the way that you paint you right you dye it it goes in a pod or you right. screen print it or, or something now with cotton or cellulose fibers, with the dyes you use for those, you can actually do a process that's called discharge, where you can remove the dye. Gotcha. So you could you could dye the whole thing orange. Right. And then you could strip stamp it. and strip the dye from that area and then go back into it with the blue. Gotcha. But on the wool, you cannot. The nature of the fiber is such that you have to... If you try to discharge the dye out of the wool, it, the the stuff that you'd have to you do it with eats the fiber, eats the material, right. makes it just nasty. So, you, so I had to find another way. And at that time, um, shibori is the the name of the technique, and it wasn't known then oh, wow. like this now. Um, you got to remember this was twenty two years ago. Um, and there was a woman, Yoshiko Wada, who had just, she had just done an extensive study in Japan. She'd taken all the museum, all the, um, gone to, I think, which museum it was. I think Kyoto, but don't quote me on that. I have to look it up. She, if she ever listens to this, she'll be like, oh, because I've studied with her. I've taken a workshop with her. But anyway, I forgot what awesome. But anyway, she took all of the original Edo, Edo period and period historical textiles, and she figured out how they did them all. And oh, she recreated wow. that and she put it all in a book. And that since then, that became has, you know, over the 20 years, that became popular. It filtered into the culture here. Right. Um, but it was a new thing at that time. And I saw that technique and I saw how they, so one of them is called Itajime, which it's mm-hmm. using wooden clamps. Right. And so that I'm like, oh, I can take the wood and make it into shapes and I can keep the, I can keep the color away from the shapes got you got you got you i got you right on 
So that's, so my original large pieces were done the traditional way, only just really big with wool. And there were just two colors. I've got a blue and white one somewhere. Um, I'll, I'll throw it up onto the network so you can see what it looks like. It really looks like indigo because they, they, you know, it was my first pieces I was just trying to recreate what they did. Right. Some of the techniques, but then I kind of branched out from there. And, but then I couldn't do those because of this stupid, you know, I wasn't allowed to lift anything heavier than a pound. Right. Right. So, and, and I didn't want to sew the machine because I hated the way the stitches looked and I, I've never been a sewer and no interest in sewing, stitching. No, no, no. I want to die. You know, I didn't want to sit there and sew. Um, but now I kind of had to recover from this surgery. So it was like a, a good activity for me to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know, you know, the creator, whatever, you know, whatever God decides, we're going to, you know, we've, you have to make the most out of the situation yeah. you're in. You know, so I, I, I have a line that I love to say, how a double hernia helped me make artwork that it now exists in, in hotels and hospitals across the world. You know, oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I love that. I love that's that. That's what the story is. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So now it's and now the last piece I did, it's all made out of little tiny pieces that are this one. Yeah. That are like like this. Oh wow. It's 15 by eight feet, and they're all these little tiny things sewn together. Wow. That's that's and it's taken me five years. So I mean, you know, I can't keep doing this, not sustainable. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's amazing. I mean, Some exciting news, diary listeners. We actually got a wonderful promotional code from Reinventing the Tattoo recently, and we're happy to share this with you. It's 10% off on a subscription to Reinventing the Tattoo. And if you don't know about this wonderful, wonderful service, it's continuing education for working professionals, very geared around tattooers. But I would venture to say that if you are looking to improve your art skills and have regular momentum to your creation, creativity and to your own professional education, I can't recommend it enough. One of the prime people that you will be critiqued by and helped with and draw with and all of that good stuff is Guy Acheson. And if you don't know about him, you probably should. He is a very, very pivotal person in our industry. I joined them for for one exercise. I I did a color study. I mean, Rico sat there and and watched me the other night do Mm -hmm. a, a color study exercise with Guy and company, and it was amazing. I was flexing all kinds of muscles. It's just all around if you want to improve your art skills. I can't see a better way than hanging out with a lot of professional artists and seeing the kind of work that they do and the kind of exercises they work on all the time. It's www.reinventingthetattoo.com backslash The Apprenticeship Diaries. So again, that's www.reinventingthetattoo.com backslash The Apprenticeship Diaries. And that's going to save you 10% on your subscription. Go check it out, folks. That piece is going to be epic. And think about all the, because I think that, you know, not to get too woo-woo-y with it, but I think that things... (laughs) get charged with, with that, that creative energy and they exude it for all of time. So it's going to be a very powerful piece. Once oh, it, it, it is. Yeah. It is. You'll see it one day. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm excited about that. And, and, you know, like with the sewing kind of thing, I mean, you said that like you started out as a weaver, it's still weaving. It's still, you yes. know, yes. yeah. So I like that. 
Um, not to mention, you know, it's, it's a very intimate connection with your, with your piece. Um, and there's that process, you know, like I think real artists are process oriented. We're, we're not product bound, even though there is a product in mind and we'll know when we hit it, mm-hmm. but, but we lose ourselves in the process. And that's Absolutely. where, that's where we find all the joy, that rhythm, you know, like, it's just so nice. Like you said, it's like a, it's, it, you know, it isn't nausea inducing like a whirlpool, I guess would be, but, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe it, is. <laughs> it probably is for some, I have a lot of people that look over my shoulder, like, I don't even know how you do that. <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't know either. I just let, let it happen. <laughs> but, um, so after, um, after, school and everything, how, you know, you were, you did have this plan to go and, and work for companies doing textiles. What, what took off after that? You know, you found this technique, you started leaning into it. What was the course after that? Well, then they asked me to teach them surface design classes. Oh, okay. So I taught right and on. I really loved it. So I kind of did a 180 and and everybody advised me that I was never going to have any money and that I really should just go into industry because that's, which actually turned out to be true, but that's, you know, (laughs) but passion, I had passion and, and I'm not sorry, but I teach workshops now at at, um, craft schools when I can, I'm I'm going to be teaching one actually next spring. It probably made you a better mom too. I would think in a lot of ways. Yeah. 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 But, um, Yeah. So I just decided, I just kind of did a 180 and applied for teaching jobs out of, out of school. And that's how I ended up in Tennessee. I, I had a choice. I could, I got two offers, one in Pennsylvania, but it was for, it was for a temporary full-time position for one semester. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was out in um, near Pittsburgh, whatever that university is out there in, in Western Pennsylvania. Um, Big school. I forget the name of it. I'm, sh- I'm and then, sure. And and then the other one was East Tennessee State. Right on. And which was also temporary full time. Um, but it was a year position. And if they were talking about that, I, you know, the way they I, I didn't know about academics. Mm hmm. Then the, what I know now that, that you have to like basically prove yourself every second. And, and I didn't know that I, I just thought because it, it, I did not get any. I don't know if RISD's different now, but then it, it, I that all of the art schooling, all of that, but nothing about how to actually exist in mm-hmm. the world. Nothing about how to deal with people, um, which is, is not it, being in like a environment where there are other people all working and and everybody has an agenda and you have to watch where your feet go Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to do that and I'm still don't (laughs) I'm figuring it out uh yeah I mean I'm working on I'm learning a lot this nomad network's really helping me a lot working with Mm -hmm. people just learning I just learn a lot from people but so I I ended up being there getting my contract renewed for three years but the other thing that happened was the year that I went down there was 2001. Mm-hmm. I'd never been south of the Mason-Dixon line. And mm-hmm. I'm down there all alone. 
And, you know, because Danny, you know, we were, we, did, we didn't realize we should just kind of wait. We moved everything down here, log, stock and barrel, which, you know, it's a lot cheaper to live down here. And I love it here. So it's good. But um, <laughs> so, you know, I we had one week to find a place to live and figure out my classes starting as we came down in August because I, I graduated in, in June, had to wrap stuff up. And so Danny's in, in Massachusetts, you know, packing our gear and bring it down to our temporary housing. And um, I'm teaching and then it's 9-11. Mm-hmm. And um, I never forget, I was I was on the, I was hiking with a new friend. Um, we were up on top of the hill in her yard and and all of a sudden, her daughter comes running out of it. She she was in a trailer at the bottom of the hill. She comes running out. She goes, "Mama, Mama, they done gone bombed the World Trade Center." She's like, just like that. Aww. I'm like, it was like, what? What? She was like, you know. And it was Phyllis and I. We we went down, and 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 it was that. And I was I was a thousand miles away from everybody I knew. Yeah, my sister was in Manhattan. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I, I had a class the next day. I remember I went and bought a whole bunch of canned goods, took some money out of the bank and filled up the car. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, yeah. And bought a bunch of bottled of water, filled the bathtub too. Yeah. Cause I was always taught to do that in a storm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, cause I'm alone and I've never been alone like this. And, and, um, so I went to at an eight o'clock color theory class the next day. Wow. So I went to school and the classroom was full. All the students were there. And and I looked at him. Everybody's like looking at me like, what are you going to do? <laughs> and, and I said, well, I said, you know. We're just going to do color theory. Because if they don't, if we don't, they win. Yeah. I don't know where that came from, but that's what I said. And they're all like, OK. And we, we, we did our work. That, that's what we did. I really think that's the best thing you could have said as a teacher and mentor at that point. You know, like that's, the, you know, that's, that's like the best thing to say, you know? Yeah. It's that, I mean, that's the only thing I could think of. And then of course, in the next two days, all the boys ended up, they, they all went to Fort Campbell. There were, there was yeah. only girls left, you know, I mean, it was literally, you know, where, where, where I am, they had the very first person that went to Iraq was, wow. was Dan, somebody or other, um, David, or I forget what his name was, but anyway, he was like this, this area, um, very much that that they would my mother sent me an american flag the one my grandfather was a commander of a ship in the navy so they had a flag she sent me a flag to put in my window everybody had a flag in their window Mm -hmm. oh my god that's crazy man i was i was in i was in an art class when that happened uh i was in a uh illustration class uh, when all of that went, went down and I remember somebody coming in and they, we had a TV right there. We, everyone turned it on and we experienced that all together as a classroom. So you were teaching, uh, well, you weren't teaching, you were hiking, but you had to go to a class and I was actually in a class, uh, while that was happening. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was impactful. And I, I do remember, I remember a lot of my classmates, you know, they were from New York and they were like panicked. And the teacher was like, you know, you're excused, whatever you have to do, you know, call yep. your family, yep. you know, 
all of that. So it was a, it was a huge, huge thing. Um, and, and most people like, you know, your memory gets, you know, seared with those things. Cause you know, everybody has like what, what they were doing. Um, right. you know, but, um, I remember, uh, just, being in class and, and just watching everyone because it was, uh, you know, I, I, I was just kind of like, what are we doing? You know, <laughs> what is, what's next? And exactly. I, I, I kept on going with my day and just listening, but like, I, I knew I was kind of like you and instinctually of just being like, I got to keep going with what my plan is. My plan Mm -hmm. is, is to be this artist. My plan is to be this person. You know, it was very, I guess it's that same kind of, um, turn that turnkey that I'm able to have when it comes down to sitting to my art, you know, like I'm just, I just have to take the noise out and focus. Um, yeah. yeah. But, uh, that, that's, that's crazy, dude. Um, so from there, it affected my career though, because oh, yeah, well, they didn't have funding for the position then. Like things changed a little. Oh. They, they didn't. They they didn't offer tenure. They didn't. Uh, they, they didn't have. They couldn't offer a. I couldn't apply for it. I was supposed to be able to apply at the end of that first year. Crap. Okay, so that's cool. Good. Good. Get back on the course here because we got to yeah. keep going with Carol. <laughs> But that's that's how 9-11 affected me. Yeah. Wow. It's yeah. like this COVID thing now. It affects everybody has their personal story, how it affect them, mm-hmm. you know, financially, spiritually, physically. You know, 9-11, yeah. same thing. And then what was that? 20, 2001. 20 years ago. 20 well, years more ago. than that almost long. 21. Yeah. 20 years is not very long. No. And there are people that don't even think of it. And, you know, back to talking about the long view. And, of course, the older you get... Mm-hmm. the more you realize how short a decade is, yep. is the point. So it, it it was kind of a gift because by the end of that three years, you know, I need a lot to do. I mean, I, I got major research grants. I got, you know, I did a lot of things while I was there. So by the time I was trying to apply, everybody said my application looked more like a tenure um, application than a new client. And there were people that already didn't like me. And I was, you know, it was like, I didn't follow the instruction of just go up in your office and don't do anything till it's time to, you know, I guess is a thing, not just, you know, in a lot of places, I guess that you're supposed to stay low. I don't know. I I think that's something that happens in the world, but I really don't know because I have so little experience. So I don't know. Now I'm saying this like out loud and the whole world's going to hear it. (laughs) That's scary, but it's a diary. So we get real, right? right? So I'm being real there. So the gift that I got out of that was low income. So I could never really own anything that I could lose. Right. It does help, honestly. (laughs) And we still rent our house. And I didn't end up in that one place where I had, you know, I still have to, you know, had to struggle and I did a lot of teaching in a lot of different schools I've had a long career several different universities I've I've been to Scotland with me you know I've been all different places wow probably more places than I could have gone I, and I I don't know I love where I am right now I am really really happy right now that's awesome I love that I love hearing and I'm that. really excited about where like I'm just excited for this year I'm excited to try to bring people in to, to work with a few people 
you know, I, I, I don't know where they're going to come from, but, you know, I just, I had, I had somebody that's working with me now and I, you know, you do these, you do these little surveys mm-hmm. and, and to find out, you know, what, so the question that, that we were supposed to ask was in this little, you know, workshop thing I took, ask people who are working with you, um, which, which part of your life does this make better business or spiritual or health or um, personal growth or there was one other one and and so this this lady answered immediately almost immediately she goes well it's spiritual I'm teaching her art I was teaching her kids art and then she liked the session so much that when the kids went back to school she started studying with me and and it's it's just like this one-on-one like we're talking about apprenticeship type mm-hmm. of thing yeah and and she says, well, it's personal and spiritual growth, but they all would fit. Yeah. That's and awesome. That, and I think for you, you know, with your apprentices and the people you work with, it's that feeling that you can make a difference in somebody's, you know, that this is one place where, where she can go, where it's just for her mm-hmm. and she can be creative. Yeah. And, you know, so, and I'm sure you have that yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, um, Absolutely. Uh, The collaborative piece of where I'm at right now is really, really exciting. Um, I've existed off of that with my clients, you know, with every single one that I have, um, because um, my artwork is, is kind of, I need the person to be the conduit because I am an illustrator. I'm just a very personal illustrator. And I, what I seek is the personal story. And so what I want is all of these things that you come to me with that kind of illustrates your, the idea of you. And then I help you realize that in a very, very, you know, personal brand kind of way, you're going to be wearing it and other people are going to be engaging with it. So yeah, like all of that stuff is, um, but, but now I'm like you, I I really want to, um, I didn't start out teaching. I, 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 I knew it to be a very uh, high tier thing that you do when you want to promote legacy. And that has always been a thing that um, my dad spoke about when I was doing my first apprenticeship, which was in hair. Um, He was like, you know, when you love something, you teach it to somebody else. You know, that, that is, that's how you, make your mark on this world. Like there's, there's so many different ways to do it. And my parents long knew that I didn't want kids. So they were like, you know, I think that that was an important thing for them to let me know is that like, you know, you always have to interact and a tempering thing for me. So you, you have to, you have to think about how you're impacting the world and what you're, you're giving to the things that you love um, because it matters. It's a character building thing. So they were like, you know, you, you should, you should think about my dad's now saying like, I think you should teach art. And I, and I, I'm, I I have to admit, I'm, I'm a little, um, COVID has, um, rocked me in a lot of ways. And I think the thing that I'm going to do right now is, uh, really focus on, on being the best tattoo artist I can possibly be right now. And just really getting strong there because that's the base I don't really feel like expansion is something I can do right now. I even, this is the first time this is going out. Um, it'll be, 
you know, in a few weeks from now, but I did have to actually part ways with my current apprentice. Um, it was very, I, I think mutual, but it was something that where I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't help him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like I was a bad space, honestly, for him to be in, uh, in that, in that particular, um, incidents that happened with us. I just couldn't get past it. And it kept me up at night. And I was like, I, I think this is his time for me to like, you know, put an ultimatum out there for him and let him decide whether or not he wants to continue learning from me or not. Um, because this, this is, this is big for me and I can't move past it. If, if I can't, if we can't coalesce into a mutual understanding and, you know, it was something that I do think that it was a time and he, he picked the right choice, which was to, to move on with his education elsewhere, which I think is, I think that's part of the journey. Like you said, you know, think about all the things, I mean, you started out six writing a book and then, like, you know, all the things that you've gone through to get here and be so happy, you know, like that's, but that's the thing. That's why I wanted all of this, you know, the apprenticeship diaries, all of this stuff to be something to let people know it's not a straight line, you know, like even, even if you know what you're going into, like you said, you know, I studied weaving and, and then, you know, it took me here and then I had this medical issue and then it took me here. And then there was nine 11 and it took me here. (laughs) Like, you don't, it doesn't happen that way. We have it in our heads that it's going to, you know, that we can structure the plan and it's not a bad idea to have a plan, but I think you have to be willing to, again, you know, view life as a process oriented thing. You know, you cannot, you cannot think about it as a product because then you're always going to feel like something's lacking, you know, like you have to just fall in love with the play and the process and like, Oh, well, I didn't didn't think that would happen, but we're just going to go over here now. (laughs) And if we don't do color theory today, they win. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I love all of that. So, um, since you couldn't get tenure, uh, what, what happened? Like I, I, you know, now you're, you're, you're doing this huge commission. I know, um, for this client, it's taking you five years, but like, how has, you know, the path to professionalism looked for you? Like, how did you, um, cause you're, you know, you said you, most of your arts in a museum right now, I don't think many of the artists that are listening here can, can say things like that and that you've, you know, designed for hotels and things like that. How did the evolution of that happen? So, <laughs> It's a good thing that this isn't going to be the only talk we have. Uh, <laughs> right? Well, there's a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> Is this going to be long? No. So, so what happens is that you put your work out there looking for shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I literally, up until five years ago, I promoted and I had a show somewhere every single year. Because oh, I just, wow. I, because I wanted to have a reason to make the work. So, I mean, and cool. so my last show was five years ago. And the, the, one of the people that came there that saw the work bought this piece. And so then I've been working on this. No, so mm-hmm. I have work. I have probably 30 pieces that most of the world has never seen because they were just at this one show. So unless you got to go to that, you wouldn't wow. have seen it because that was before COVID. And then it took, of course, it took me forever. I guess it was, maybe it was 2016. I don't know, but 
we put the, the pieces were in storage there. They were going to bring them back out to me, but then they couldn't. Then I couldn't get there. I think my father died in between theirs. No, no, yeah. it was before that. I don't know what happened, but somehow they're still there. And then, of course, when COVID hit, everything shut down. Yeah. So the pieces were still there. She actually, I've got to get them out of there. I got an email from, from Carrie Jordan saying, you know, she's got 30 big paintings coming in and she needs a place. I said, I, I mean, I said, I'll come out and get them. Right. And let me know. I'll come get them. Cause I was going to deliver this big piece I'm working on. And um, then, but we need a scaffold to, to stage it. It's going to, We've got to stage it. It's going to be dimensional. So I got to stage it, figure out how we're going to hang it, what I got to do to it. That's going to come down again, get worked on again, and then go back out there. Right. So it's not, they don't want to have that scaffolding up there over Christmas. Gotcha. Um, well, so I, I'm, I'm getting there. I know that I got. So anyway, I had art shows and people yeah. would see the work and um I also, you know, put out proposals and because I was teaching in academia um, for those three years. And then after I taught there, I, I, I would pick up classes at other places. I also put my I'm part of surface design association. I taught workshops at Penland at Haystack at Aramont, a lot of craft schools that are well-known John C. Campbell. And so different people would see my work and then I would get a commission. Right. Um, and I also had my, so I'm part of the Tennessee Art Craft Association. And um, I mean, I've won prizes for a bunch of my work. And one of those was in the State Museum in Tennessee. The governor wow. saw my work. I ended up making curtains for the governor's mansion, like weird stuff like that. That's awesome. That was a volunteer thing. I didn't get paid for it. And it was weird because they were rare. I had to dye this fabric they gave me. I had to figure out how to dye it. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's so. Awesome. Tony, Tony Sykes owned a, like a marketing type thing and, and she saw my work and um, the, the work that won the prize in the state museum. And um, we collaborated on, you know, advertising it and some, then some clients saw that and they, so it, it's been really, I, the amount of commissions that I've gotten just because people happen to see my work without me really advertising it. Right. And I kind of think about it as kind of amazing. Um, well, I think that that's the, I think <laughs> so, that's the thing too, is that um, what a lot of people don't understand is that um, they, I feel like, and this is something that we learn on the Nomad Network, you know, you think that if you don't, if you don't get mainstream enough that nobody will, you know, lash on and really the encouragement where, where we gather is niche out, man, like be as authentic to you as possible, be this rare gem of a human because in my experience too the more that I do that and the less that I I um really allow for a lot of um external influences the more I get the qualified uh purchaser of my art the more my clientele really becomes what I need it to be and this perfect fit kind of thing like because they they do they see the work and they respond they'll see it on someone else and then I have this whole word of mouth kind of thing. I don't advertise. I, you know, I have my portfolio up on IG and I show that kind of stuff off, but I don't, 
I, I don't advertise. I don't pay for it. I don't, you know, I, I talk about my work. I interact with people, but it's all word of mouth. And I've, I've gotten that ever since um, doing hair, you know, like mm-hmm. people talk and then they see the hair and then they see the work and, and they talk about you and then they send people. And I find that when people find you that way, that very neat funnel, they just get qualified because they're willing yeah. to go through the journey. They, they kind of love the journey too. And, and then you have this perfect client relationship. That's pretty awesome. Um, so I like that a lot. Can you um, share with the listeners a little bit? Um, Cause not a lot of people know about the gallery life and everything. Um, can you talk to them about like, uh, you know, what it is to approach a gallery, what that situation is like and all that good stuff, because it's, it's, it's a lot. And most people don't realize um, what a gallery, you know, working with them, and your work is kind of like, and there's a whole commission part of it too. That's a part of that interaction. Yeah. So as far as the gallery piece goes, I've never actually gotten representation with a specific gallery. Okay. I think it's because my pieces take too long to make mm-hmm. that you have to charge too much and a gallery you know, they, they, they all of the galleries, first of all, it's it's better now, mm-hmm. but there's a line like textile art isn't always seen the same way painting is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's now it's 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 much more accepted. But of course, 20 years ago. So there was that people didn't understand what my art was. Right. But even what to call them, like they'd say they're tapestries. They're not really technically tapestries because they're no. woven. Yeah. So it. it I didn't, and and frankly, I wanted to sell the work, but I couldn't make enough pieces right. fast enough. So, but where I have worked with galleries is in shows. So the type of gallery, like galleries that that, that, that give you shows, or they mm-hmm. they'll put out call for artists, right, and collections. That's call for artists. So that's been my experience. My just. Going through, creating the, getting the slides made, um, and uh, so. Well, it's a good point to up mention. between two thousand, between the year nineteen ninety nine, and mm, I can't say what year it was, but it was after. Certainly, while I was still in school. We were we we would have slides, right, right. Um, and I have four by five transparencies. Like I get four by five transparencies mm-hmm. for my work. Yep. And that's what you needed to send to be published. I've still got you know the, they they needed the four by fives to publish. Okay. This is what I'm trying to say, is that so you had to get the get them photographed. You had to pay a photographer because the photographer had all the lighting and all that right. for photographing your work. So. And and then digital images, they would do digital photography, but the last professional photography that I had done of my work was probably 2014 when I was or after Georgia State. There was one last show. And then, of course, at the Customs House, I got some pictures, although they weren't really what, what I would have wanted. Um, there's this in-between transition time where you got to figure out how to get your work photographed. Mm-hmm. My work's really big. Yeah. And so I have work that, that hasn't been photographed. 
um, that now I have to do it because it's like, really now the way it's not like, I mean, you can find a photographer, but I might, you know, I have all the equipment to do. It's different. Yeah. Like it's just different, a different world. Um, so most of my experience was learning. I, I would have, the talk would have been, well, you have to have good slides. You have to make sure, you know, your slides need to be clear. You need to have the right size. You have to have high resolution images. You need to make that portfolio so they can see a variety. You have to do exactly what they ask for. You send the slides. Sometimes you'll get accepted into a show just because your slides are clear. They could, they know exactly what they're getting. Right. They're not sure what it is they're getting. They might be beautiful work, but they might not accept it. So that, you know, anybody who's listening, um, I will say that the photography is really important. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a place where I, I've been given a gift of some camera equipment last year that I'm learning how to use that will photograph my work. But I'm, I'm, I don't have all the lights and everything I need yet. You know, it's right. But, you know, it's so that's a that's a huge piece of it mm-hmm. is getting figuring out how to get your work in front of your audience and now it's a whole new thing because you've got to do it there's new online programs there's mm-hmm. whole new ways to do it then this is something that i'm just at the beginning of mm-hmm. right now. I, does that answer the question no absolutely because okay. um no, well, and it gives a it gives a perspective on on how much harder it was too. Because now I've I've I I have this one. Um, it's called the artist list, and they give you listings of different competitions and things like that. They go around you and what themes, like you said, what shows are going on. And now you can you can just if you have a good scan of your work or a good photo, like you said, you just email it in. And it's bam, bam, bam. And everybody like, you know, they're able to sit there and easily assess your work, gather the information. But before it was, it was a process. I remember when I went to college, I needed slides. Like I needed to have slides of my work in order to submit a portfolio. Um, and you had to learn how to like my, my art school, they, they taught you how to take slides, like how to photograph them because they had the equipment there. Um, I went to a, a magnet school for high school. So I was very concentrated in art before I went to actual college. So I had to learn how to take slides and then you had to develop them. And then there was only certain places that actually developed slides. And it was, it was a rigmarole. And then, you know, people look at your price when you go into galleries and they're like, oh my God, this is so expensive. But what most people don't understand is that a lot of that stays with the gallery. You know, galleries take anywhere from 50 to 60% of yes. the commission, you know? So, they do. They do. Um, and that's something that most people don't realize when you're trying to be a professional artist. Like, and you mentioned it, you mentioned like, you know, if you want to be represented by a gallery, you have to have a consistency of work that fills the gallery so that they can they can actually keep, you know, having shows about you you have to be able I mean people have asked me like why don't you do you know more more of that kind of life I was like because I don't paint like that like you have to be a very prolific painter and artist um when it comes to that not that you're not continually working but so much goes into one piece you can't produce like that so you have to you know you have to know what kind of representation what kind of avenue your individual work has to actually go through in order to be seen, to be able to be sold 
and all of those things and, and the struggle. I wanted to illustrate to everybody the struggle of the specific kind of artwork that you have, first of all, and then you know, selling it, getting it out there, all of those things, this digital age, you know, we're doing a podcast now, like this is one way to like start gathering interests and things like that. You know, who listens to this podcast and sees it and then looks at your work. I already know somebody who um, I've already interviewed on the podcast. She's really a wonderful client of mine. She's got this gorgeous fern that we did on her. She's a yogi. She's going to love just, you know, watching this and being like, Oh my God, I love all the ferns. (laughs) I love ferns because they're ferns are like a metaphor in a lot of my work Mm -hmm. because this is about endangered species. I think I told you about that. Yeah. You told me, but tell the audience about, um, I just can't remember what we've talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, um, we haven't touched on what your expertise is, but this is a good time to like tell them what your interests are. Cause I, I really think that's, I mean, it's necessary. It's your work. Well, so I, I teach art history. That's part of what happened, you know, at, after I've been teaching art history for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, and so that gives me the perspective of the long view. Mm-hmm. So one thing I think is that, and I actually, I was just thinking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, mm-hmm. war, pest, was it war, famine, pestilence, and um, the other one, can never, um, death. Oh yeah, death. 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 <laughs> <laughs> right. He comes after. And so the reason I bring that up is because if there isn't any water, there's not going to be anything to eat everything's going to die, plants, animals, everything. There's going to be war because there isn't going to be enough and and it's death. So it starts with water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, why are we going to other planets and looking for water? You know, like. Exactly. Exactly. So it, it starts with water. And so this piece behind me, it's called the last plant. Oh, I love it. And and the idea is that it, it was seminal to endangered species that that grass. So it's a weed. It's a, it's a, it's an image of a weed, mm-hmm. grass, or like a dandelion, or like some kind of weed that you hate is an endangered species if there's no water. Yeah, absolutely right because it's not going to grow any of it. So any of it. All of the all of the you see there's brown all around it. Mm-hmm. And then there's this one blue plant. Well, plants aren't really blue, but that's a metaphor for the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, I love to choose old plants. So ferns, your friend, mm-hmm. um, ferns are one of the oldest plants species. Really? They're, they're, oh, yeah, they're ancient. There are fossils of ferns. I mean, there's ferns that are ancient. Right, right. There's some that are alive now that that specific, specific series is, is thousands of years old. And then, of course, you find a fossil of a fern, and oil is a fossil fuel. So you can you can extrapolate to all sorts of, you know, metaphors. Well, and it's funny because her tattoo actually it's of the fern, and it's also a nautilus and a fern because of the spiral connection they share and their journey to unfurl. You know, like in yeah. their own yeah. So all of it, you know, she's really into all of that. So she's gonna love this. <laughs> That concludes part one, diary listeners. Isn't Carol amazing? Be sure to go on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, find her wherever you can. She also has a website at uh, 
carolabaron.com. Make sure to check her out. She does some really amazing things and her uh, stitch meditations are pretty cool. So go check that out. We'll see you next week for part two. Thanks for listening. You can find The Apprenticeship Diaries on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our IG is the underscore apprenticeship underscore diaries. If you would like to offer constructive criticism or an interview, drop us an email at theapprenticeshipdiaries at gmail.com. We We look look forward forward to hearing from from our listeners. listeners.